0: To Authentic with Dr. Greg Ammons. The podcast where we look at aspects of the Christian faith so we can live a real, genuine, authentic life for Jesus Christ. Well, hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Dr. Greg Ammons, and I enjoy this time with you. Hope you're enjoying these podcasts as well, and hope they are beneficial. To you. We are continuing episodes as a follow up to a recent sermon series I preached at the First Baptist Church of Garland entitled Asking for a Friend. And in this sermon series, I answered questions that perhaps people have about God or the Christian life or church or some aspect of living for Christ. Maybe questions they had but they did not really want to ask. And so we're following up in these episodes of the podcasts. More questions perhaps you have wondered about but really did not want to ask. In previous podcasts, I have answered five questions about heaven, five questions about salvation, five questions about spiritual beings, questions about lifestyle issues. And today, in this podcast, I will answer five questions about God, five questions that maybe You have wondered about or or you have contemplated about God Himself. So, question number one Why does God remain invisible? Why is God invisible? Why can't we see Him? I don't think there's anything that makes living the Christian life more difficult than the fact that we serve a Lord who is invisible to us. We can't see him. And you know the expression out of sight out of mind, it's very difficult to live your life dedicated to someone whom you can't see. You cannot see with your eyes. So many times people say, well, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, I don't believe it. And so they'll not embrace something if the, if it's if they can't experience it with their physical senses. And one of the more difficult problems of the Christian life is God is rarely perceived through our physical senses. Now, on the other side of the coin, I would say that one of the greatest hopes that we have as believers in Jesus is what John recorded in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. I love this verse. Listen to it. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be like. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The Latin there means as He is in Himself. What a great day that's going to be whenever we see Jesus as He is and stand before Him. That is to say, that which is totally concealed from our eyes right now, primarily His substance, His essence, we will see in all of His glory and majesty and splendor one day, and what a great day that's going to be. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly that no one has seen God with their eyes and that no one shall see God and live that's referred to in Exodus 33, 20, 1 Timothy six, fifteen, and the reason is because that God is holy. We cannot see God. We cannot look upon His glory and majesty and splendor. He's holy, and we are unholy, and so we can't we can't do we can't perceive Him like that. Moses, as righteous as he was, he pleaded with God. God, let me see you. I, I want to see your face. He was on the mountain with the Lord, wonderful fellowship. He wanted an unveiled look at God's glory. Well, God did allow him to catch just a glimpse of the back parts as he walked by, and he said, My face shall not be seen. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and they were banished from the garden, God has been invisible to human beings. Not because God is incapable of being seen. The problem is not with our eyes. It's with our hearts. You see, we cannot see God because we are sinful people. And the problem is not with our eyes in seeing. The problem is with our heart in sinning. You may remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus made the promise that in the Beatitudes that someday a certain group of people would see God. You might remember he said, Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, they will be filled. And he also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's because we're not pure in heart. That's why God remains invisible to us. But one day, believers in Jesus will see Him face to face. Question number two. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear the Lord? As pastor, I've been asked this many times. Pastor, why does God want us to fear Him? I thought we were to love Him. Why would he why would he want us to fear him? Well, in answering the question, I, I think it's important to make some some distinctions about the biblical meaning of the word fear and, and what it means to fear God. We're not the first ones to struggle with this. Martin Luther struggled with it many years ago, and he explained it this way. He he made a distinction between uh what what might become actually a distinction has become very popular today: a distinction between servile fear and familial fear, or in other words, fear servants may have and fear children may have. Let, let me explain the difference. Servile fear is the kind of fear that uh, fear of a uh, that a prisoner in a torture chamber has for his tormentor, the jailer or the executioner. It's that kind of, of dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened by the clear and present danger that's represented by another person. Or it's the kind of fear that maybe a slave would have at the hands of a master who would come with a whip and, and torment the, the, the slave. That, that's servile fear. Luther distinguished between that kind of fear and and what he calls familial fear. That refers to the fear maybe that a child has for his father or or mother. And in this regard, Luther is thinking of a child who has a tremendous respect and love for his father or mother and, and dearly wants to please them. He has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or even punishment, but rather because he's afraid or she's afraid of displeasing the one who loves them so dearly, their source of security and love. So, I think that's a good distinction. It's not a servile fear we have of God that we're afraid as a slave is of a master but a familial fear that a child has a, a, a respect, a healthy respect and awe and reverence that a child may have for a parent. And I think this distinction is very helpful. The Hebrew word for, uh, for fear is yare, Y-A-R-E, and it literally is translated respect or awe, A-W-E, awe that you may have for someone. The Bible tells us, Proverbs nine ten that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It tells us in other places it's the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord is, is important, and it's not necessarily a cringing fear as if you're afraid of a tormentor. It is a healthy awe and respect that you have uh, for someone that you love very deeply. One last point, if you have a healthy adoration for God, there still is an element there of the knowledge of God that can be frightening. Hebrews 10.31 says, "...it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God." And as sinful people, we have every reason to fear God's judgment. That's a part of our motivation uh, to, to serve Him is that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God but primarily the word fear means awe or respect uh, in, in a familial way that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good question, though, that many people ask about what does it mean to fear the Lord. Question number three. Does God speak audibly to people today? Is it possible today to hear the audible voice of God speaking to you. Again, as pastor, I've been asked this question many times. Uh, pastor, do you hear God speaking to you with an audible voice? Does God speak to me in an audible voice? And, and that's a question that's been asked for for many, many years. There are ab- abundant cases in church history where people claim to have heard God's Audible voice. Joan of Arc, uh, that would be Exhibit A, claiming to hear the audible voice of God. We find in Scripture during a time when God was giving a direct communication of divine revelation, he, He was giving it to them. And even then, the occurrences of an audible voice of God, they were extremely rare. Now, remember, this was before the Bible. This is why the Bible is being put together, in fact. But still, even during those times, hearing an audible voice of God, even in the Bible, was extremely rare. In fact, I can only think of three times in the New Testament that there's a record somebody heard the audible voice of God and two of those three times were when Jesus heard God the Father speaking. You may remember at his baptism, the audible voice of God boomed out of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, the exact phrase again, two of the three occurrences in the New Testament where audible voices of God were spoken, were spoken to Jesus. Jesus. And, of course, you might remember the third time was when Saul was on the Damascus Road and God spoke audibly to him and he heard it. Those around him heard it uh, on the Damascus Road. But other than that, there are no other occurrences, even in the Bible and the New Testament, where people heard an audible voice of God. Even in the Old Testament, although it happens with those who are agents of revelation, those occurrences were very rare indeed. So in biblical times, even at the height of divine revelation, an audible voice of God did not happen that frequently. Personally, I don't think we're in a period of redemptive history in which we need to hear an audible voice of God. The Bible is God speaking to us. So I don't, Note that we would need to hear the audible voice of God because the Bible is God speaking. I have never heard God speak audibly to me. And now I talk about God speaking to me, God telling, showing me this, telling me that. But those were not in audible voices, those were from God's written word itself as it was revealed to me while I was reading it. But I've never heard personally God's audible voice. Now, now let me say this. Qualify it in one way. If you're in a location where the Bible is perhaps not readily available to you, a a, a location of the world, very remote region, is it possible God would speak to people audibly where they do not have the Bible present? Yes, I would say that's that's possible that, that he could do that, and they could speak. He does speak through dreams uh, in, in regions of the world, dreams and visions where the word of God is not readily acceptable. He is speaking in dreams and visions to Muslims all over the world, and they are coming to Christ through those dreams and visions. So, yes, it would be possible that God speak audibly in, in locations where His word is not readily accessible. However, where we live, where I live, where we have the Word of God, I don't know that God would need to speak audibly to me whenever He speaks through the pages of Scripture. But again, a great question about God speaking audibly uh, to people today. Question number four. In the Old Testament, God brought judgment through catastrophic catastrophic events. Does he still do that today? Boy, that's a great question. In the Old Testament, God brought judgment through floods and earthquakes and pestilence and drought and things like that, events like that, catastrophes. Whenever those happen today, are those judgments of God? Well, a lot of people have asked this question in various ways through the years, and I think a good way to begin answering it is, when God used a catastrophe as an arm of judgment in the Old Testament, we know that His judgment was behind the catastrophic event because it's written in His Word, that's why it happened. So we have the benefit of the written revelation of God telling us that this was God's hand, his doing in history, and he was behind the flood or the earthquake or the pestilence or the drought or whatever it was. As we live out our lives today and see nations suffer catastrophes and calamity that strikes people in various ways, we don't really know exactly what the relationship is between those catastrophes and God's judgment. We, we really don't know. Let me give you a biblical parallel here. If you remember in John chapter 9, the Pharisees raised the question about a man born blind. Was the man born blind because he was a sinner or because his parents were sinners. And if you remember Jesus answer very very wise, Jesus said it was neither one of those. He was born blind for another reason altogether, that God would receive glory in some way. So, it wasn't done as an expression of divine judgment. The man was not born blind as a result of divine judgment. And so, you'll also remember Job the text in the book of Job should restrain us in the case of assuming that a person's tragedy or catastrophes or calamities are a direct act of divine judgment. If you remember Job, he had these three friends, who Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who were just so convinced that Job's problems were a result of sin... And Job kept saying, I can't think of anything that I've done that would cause these. But they were so convinced that they knew God so well that the problems were divine judgment. Well, then finally Elihu came along, the younger man, and said, well, maybe, just maybe, Job's problems are not a result of Job's sin. So, I think we need to be careful in in saying, yes, this earthquake or this pestilence or this drought or whatever it may be or AIDS or, or, or HIV or anything. We need to be very careful in saying this is a direct judgment of God because we don't have God's written revelation telling us that is specifically the case. Now, We do know that individuals and nations both in Scripture received catastrophic events or calamities that happened to them. It happened to nations, it happened to cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, it happened to individuals. And so in Scripture we're told, yes, this was God's judgment. But we don't have today the benefit of knowing from God's written word Yes, this earthquake in California is, or somewhere else, is a direct result of God's judgment. I do remember hearing Billy Graham say in a sermon years ago, if God does not bring judgment upon the United States, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I remember statements like that. Jesus warned cities himself that heard his message, Chorazin and Bethsaida, that the day of judgment would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for them because they did not receive his message. So you have to, again, temper statements. Jesus made like that with, with what we believe today. We, don't, we just don't have the insight today to know whether these catastrophic events are God's judgment or not. So, now again, again good question about catastrophes and, and those things happening upon people or whether individuals or nations. Go to question number five, the last one today. Why, why did God command Israel to kill people in the Old Testament? Why did God command His people to make war on nations? I thought He was a God of love, not of war and killing people well this question has really bothered people for a, a long time this is one of the most difficult parts of the bible for those of us who live on this side of the new testament that the old testament records what we called the concept of Karim. it's a hebrew word C H E R E M. the concept of Karim, which means to totally abolish or totally destroy a person or a people group, and God commanded his people, the Israelites, to embark in what we would call a holy war against the Canaanites or people who lived in the land, the concept of Kareem. Here's what happened. As God was sending his people, letting them possess the land of Canaan, the promised land, they had to drive out the Canaanites in order to possess the land of Canaan. Whenever they did that, God told the Israelites, whenever you go in there, wipe out everyone, do not let any of them live. Wipe out men, women, children, even animals, wipe every living being out. They were forbidden to take prisoners. They were under the command, God's Kareem, the command, to utterly destroy, put a banner or a curse upon the land that, that, that it occupied for those people, the Canaanites. Now, we look at this and we kind of shrink back at that, at the degree of violence that's behind that command that God gave His, His people. In fact, some scholars in the 20th century have pointed to this kind of story in the Old Testament as an example that the Word of God can't be trusted, that, that God is some bloodthirsty, ancient, semi-nomadic Hebrew God that would just bring acts of violence upon innocent people. Therefore, God can't be trusted or His Word can't be trusted. That's, that's what critics say about God and his word concerning the concept of war and killing innocent people in the Bible. I take a different view. I I am satisfied with the concept God explained of Kareem in the Old Testament. In fact, God told his people why he gave them this command. The the institution of Kareem against the Canaanites, God told them the reason why is that if those people live and they're they're allowed to remain alive, they are going to influence the Israelites in their worship of God. The Israelites will begin worshiping the Canaanite gods, and God's worship of Israel would not be pure. It would be mixed with the worship of other gods. If you remember in the commandments, the first commandments are related not to human life. They are related to the holiness of God's relationship with His people. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. And I think sometimes in our culture in which human life is sometimes valued more highly than a relationship with God, we have a problem with human life being taken in order to preserve purity of a relationship and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's though as God's command to kill innocent people really is kind of, uh, is seen as anathema to many people. But The background is the Canaanites, they were not a good people. They were deeply entrenched in unrestrained forms of paganism that involved child sacrifice. Why would God want His people to move in and share a land with with a pagan group of people who believed in horrible atrocities such as sacrificing babies and children? During the time of the Canaanites, it was a time of profound sinfulness within that nation and wickedness. So God told Israel, I am using you in this war as an instrument of my judgment upon the Canaanites. And I am bringing my violence upon this unbelievably wicked people, the Canaanites. And God said, Deuteronomy 13, verses 12 to 17 I'm going to have them destroyed, and you will be my instrument of judgment to destroy them. So, in effect, God was saying to the Israelites, I want you to understand something. I'm I'm giving to the Canaanites what they deserved. I'm not giving them into your hands because you're better than they are. I could put the same kind of judgment upon you for your sinfulness. But basically, I am using you as an instrument of judgment upon a horribly sinful people and I do not want you to move in next to them and start worshiping their gods, performing the same acts that they performed. I want your worship with me to be pure. God said, I'm calling you out of my grace to be a holy nation, Israel. I'm tearing down in order to build something new out of what I build as a holy nation. I'm going to bless you among all the peoples of the earth. Therefore, I want you to be separated, and I don't want any of the influences of the pagan heritage to be mixed into my new nation I am establishing with you. So the reason he gives, people may not like the reason, they may not like the answer, God brought the concept of Kareem as judgment upon a nation that was pagan, so the worship of His people with Him would be pure. Well, I hope these answers have uh, have maybe helped you in some way, some of these five questions you've have had about God, and be looking for future podcasts. I will again be answering questions that you may have about other aspects of the Christian faith. and. Join me then later on. I will be talking about those and I hope to see you then. You have been listening to Authentic with Dr. Greg Ammons. Join us next time for a new podcast whenever we discuss various aspects of the Christian life. Relating theological truths from God's Word to practical ways to live for Jesus Christ on a daily basis in a real, genuine, and authentic way.